Welcome to Jesus Pursuit's weekly sermon, where our mission is bringing the good news and demonstrating the kingdom. Join us live for Worship in the Word Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on our YouTube channel. We hope you are encouraged and equipped by this week's word with our founding pastor, Denny Klein. Good morning, everybody. Are you awake? Should be awake. Oh, man, it's good to have Emily back and the girls, and good to have Ann back in the house, in my house. What a trip they had. I don't know if you saw pictures on Instagram and Facebook and like that, but it's amazing. I've been able to go to Europe many times, and uh, it's, it's a beautiful place, but there's no place like home. <laughs> Every time I get back here, I click my heels like Dorothy and say there's no place like home. Well, we're in chapter 10 today of Romans. Um, chapter 9 is was kind of a difficult chapter, I think, you know, because for two reasons. One, the theme of the law versus our own works and so forth to Establish righteousness with God is kind of a theme throughout the whole book of Romans. But then it gets really thorny in, in chapter 9 where it talks about God's election a little bit. And, you know, he has a right to show mercy on whoever he'll show mercy and reject whoever he wants to reject, you know. So those things are a little bit deeper to explain and so forth. But I don't really think there was a break between 9 and 10 I actually think it was just meant to, you know, it's a, it's a break in our Bibles, but I think in the letter there probably is no break, you know. And it just goes from, flows from one thing to the next. And I would say that if you're going to break it up, though, chapter 9 was the complex, and chapter 10 is the complex made simple. So we're going to do simple today. And it was cool, kind of cool that that's where Nathaniel kind of left off when he talked about uh, Keep it simple, sons is what he said. It's not what my middle school uh, student teacher used to say. <laughs> he used to say to not only to me but all the students, keep it simple, stupid. So anyway, but you know, people can say that and actually have an affection for the people they're saying it to and they're not being mean at all. But anyway, but it is going to be about the simplicity that's in Christ today. And by, well, let's just get into the chapter itself, and then I'll, then I'll comment on it. But, so starting with, uh, and we're not going to necessarily put all of them up there. I'm going to highlight a few of them, but I'm going to start it right at the beginning of the chapter. My beloved brothers and sisters, the passionate desire of my heart and constant prayer to God for my fellow Israelites is to experience salvation. For I know although they are deeply devoted to God, they are unenlightened. See, he's kind of going back into the same thing again. And since they ignored righteousness, the righteousness God gives, wanting to be acceptable to God because of their own works, they, they refuse to submit to God's faith righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law, and because of him, God has transferred righteousness, his perfect righteousness, to all who believe. Moses wrote long ago, the need to obey every part of the law 
in order to be declared right with God. The one who obeys the things must always live by them, is what he said. But we receive faith righteousness that speaks an entirely different message. And here's where it begins to get really simple. Don't for a moment not say, really, this is simple? He's, he's actually making it ridiculous. Don't for a moment think you need to climb into the heavens to find the Messiah and bring him down or descend into the underworld to bring him up from the dead. This is actually just a metaphor to show how ridiculous it is to try to do it yourself. It would be that ridiculous. We're going to go to heaven and bring Christ down, and we're going to go down into the abyss and bring him up, you know, for us. And so that's an impossibility. And I actually had a kind of a picture, a mind picture called a vision, whatever you want to call it, when we were praying there, Emily, when you said about being awakened. And the picture was this. I saw a picture of a bridge going across the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon's this great, huge chasm, which nobody can cross, you know, just by stepping, you know, from one place to another. It says in England, mind the gap. Well, that's a big gap. So it's, it's an impossibility to actually just step across the Grand Canyon. But I saw a picture of a bridge, and interestingly enough, as I looked at the bridge, it didn't land on the other side of the Grand Canyon. It went to heaven. That's where the bridge actually went to. And that's what Christ did for us, is he created a bridge to God over a chasm or a chasm that we could never cross ourselves, right? So that was a metaphor that God used here in terms of uh, bringing you know, leading, needing to climb into heaven or to go down into the abyss to bring Christ up. But faith righteousness that we receive speaks to us in words, the words of Moses. God's living message is very close to you, as close as your own heart beating in your chest and as near as the tongue in your mouth. And that actually comes from uh, Deuteronomy 30, Verse 7, where Moses is actually telling the Israelites, choose life or choose death. And he said it's really as simple as you and your heart, in there for them, obeying God's commands, and especially from his voice, hearing his voice and obeying it, and turning your heart to him. And so that's what he's actually referring to here. And in the New Covenant, Paul's using this to say how easy it is really for us to draw near to God. It's, it's as simple as he's very close to us, as close as our own heart beating in our chest and as near as the tongue in our mouth. That's how near God is. He's not far away. A lot of times, you know, in the, the, the old covenant kind of gave people that impression that, that God was somewhere a billion light years away. And so they rend the heavens and come down, O God. We shouldn't sing that, actually. <laughs> the heavens are already rent, and he's already come down. <laughs> so we really shouldn't be singing that. But it's a great song, anyway. And I, and I get what people are saying. They want, they want a manifestation of God's presence here and now, and so they're saying that. But 
God has already done that for us through Christ. <clears throat> He's already rent the heavens, and Christ has already come down, and now he's back in the heavens, but he's in our heart. He's, in our, he's in, as near as the heart beating in our chest and as near as the tongue in our mouth. So what is God's living message? It's a revelation of faith for salvation, which is the message that we preach. For if you publicly declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will experience salvation. Many Translations say you will be saved. The heart that believes in him receives the gift of righteousness, of the righteousness of God, and the mouth gives thanks to salvation. <clears throat> For the scriptures encourage us with these words, and I love this, everyone who believes in him will never be disappointed. And so again, some translations say never be put to shame, which also has its own beauty in the fact that when we stand before God, we will never be put to shame. So this is good news for everybody. Faith eliminates the distinction between Jew and non-Jew, for he is the same Lord, Jehovah, over all, and he has enough treasures to lavish generously upon all who call upon him. And it's true. And again, I just, here it is, so simple. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Yahweh... And he put Yahweh after it. It just says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be rescued and experience new life. That's true in the here and now, but it also says, again, in other translations, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Period. End of story. Uh, it's, not, it's not any more complicated than that. And that, that is, uh, so I'm going to get into some of the things that would, uh, you know, make us wonder, is it really that complicated, simple or not, in a little bit. But uh, So this is good news for all people. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Yahweh will be rescued and experience new life. But how can people call upon him for help if they've not yet believed? And how can they believe in one they have not heard of? And how can they hear the message of life if there's no one to proclaim it? And how can the message be proclaimed if the messengers have not yet been sent. That's why the scriptures say, how welcome is the arrival of those who proclaim the joyful news of peace and good tidings to come. But not everyone welcomes the good news, as Isaiah said. Lord, is there anyone who believes our message? Actually, there is. <laughs> and more and more, there are a lot of people who are believing the message. So faith is birthed in a heart that responds to God's anointed utterance of the anointed one. That is not really stated quite so simply, but it says faith comes by hearing and that by the word of, or preaching of Christ. Um, can it be that Israel hasn't heard the message? No, 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 they have heard it, for the voice has been heard throughout the world and its message has gone to the ends of the earth. So again, I, I ask, didn't Israel already understand that God's message was for others as well as for themselves? Yes, they certainly did understand, for Moses was the first to state it. This goes all the way back to the lawgiver. I will make you a jealous people who are nobodies, and I will use people with no understanding to provoke you to anger. That's a good way to say it. In Isaiah, the, the fearless prophet 
dared to declare those who have found me weren't even seeking me, and I manifested myself before those who weren't even asking to know me. Yet regarding Israel, Isaiah says, with love I've held out my hands day after day, offering myself to this unbelieving and stubborn people. And again, I don't really think the chapter really necessarily breaks right there as much as it just goes right on in the letter and he continues to talk about that, which, which uh, Emily, I guess, will get to next week. So, so I want to go back to verse 4. The Christ is the end of the law because of him. God has transferred his perfect righteousness to all who believe. Wow. That, that's just amazing. God actually transferred his perfect righteousness to all who believe. This whole thing started in, in the book of Romans started with God is going to judge everyone. What's he going to judge us by? The standard of Christ. Christ's righteousness. And so the just shall live by faith. It, then it said. And then he went on to talk about being justified by faith and, and then baptisms actually is this declaration that it's talking about where you publicly declare that uh, Jesus is raised from the dead and that he's in your heart and you're saying it publicly and confessing it with your mouth. Then we went into Romans 7 and 8 with, with the struggle that we have sometimes still with the inner struggle with the flesh or with the sinful nature. But thanks be to God who's in, in Christ who, who did it all and he not only paid for the penalty of sin, but he also he, he gave us, he, but he also paid for the power of sin over us. Both. It's not just the penalty, but he also overcame the power of sin. And so we actually can live a righteous life in Jesus because of what he's done to us, for us, and he actually transferred that righteousness to us. Some people use the word imputed which in, in a way it means God planted his righteous seed inside of us. He imputed it. He gave it to us. It's not just uh, like a contract, but he actually planted righteousness in us. And so this is amazing when he says he transferred this to everybody who believes. It's not for somebody. It's not saying he did this for people who now came to Christ and continued to, to labor to be righteous, but he did this for everyone who believes. It's a big contrast uh, between the old covenant and the new. So really what Paul is saying here, and so many people struggle with this, you'll, it says not everybody believes, right? And you'll hear a lot of people say, well, I don't need to for several reasons. Some religions actually say that there is no need for salvation, that, we're, that we actually are a God of our own making, and that, uh, you know, there is no such thing as a judgment. I, I actually just looked up, just out of curiosity, I hadn't looked at it for a while, what, you know, what, what are the requirements of Islam to be saved? Well, for Islam, it's, and it's very confusing because 
it depends on who you talk to and when you talk to them, what the, what the answer is. And some will say you don't need to be saved at all. Others say that you need to re keep, like these different five uh, things that the Quran says that you have to keep. But in the end, Allah is the one who, who will judge you, and he may not show mercy to you even if you keep all five. And then some of, some of the people who, I guess it's like another arm of Islam, like there's actually, I guess, different uh, pathways within Christianity that people talk about, and it's not as simple as, as what the Bible teaches. But, you know, that they basically continue to have to work for salvation, you know. And uh, so one of the things that's that said about Islam is that, uh, you know, you need to repent, you need to do this and that, but then Allah may not, may not show you mercy anyway. And Muhammad himself said he didn't know whether or not he was saved. So that's, that's Islam. A lot of certainty in that, right? I, I kind of like certainty about things, especially things that are eternal. I don't really want to have any guesswork about that. So I don't imagine you do either. Buddhism, there's no need for salvation because you're just trying to make yourself a better person and there's no afterlife anyway. So, and Buddha just went in the grave and stayed there. And he's a teacher, maybe a prophet to some people. And so people just like the teachings of Buddha, so let's follow that. But it's not about being saved, or not, and there's no judgment. According to Buddha, there's no judgment. So, but there is a judgment that will come for all people. And you say, well, why would the God who created us, knowing that we would go off and sin, and probably sin heartily, why would he judge us? My response to that is if you look at how we treat each other in human life, how can he not judge us? Okay, well, that just, that went okay for me, but it evidently just went whoosh for you. But when you think about how awful humanity treats each other, if there's any accountability, responsibility, payoff, or anything in life, other than let's just, you know, go into total chaos and it's dog eat dog. There needs to be a judgment. There has to be a judgment at some point. There has to be, I know civil law has consequences, but they're throwing that away more and more in our country, you know. And so there has to be some consequence for the fact that we treat each other with such horrible uh, ways, you know. So that was established in Romans 1 and 2. There's a judgment to come. And God has a right to do it. Because he's God. And the thing is, is the standard can only be the standard that God sets. And then God actually solved the problem of us not being able to meet the standard by sending the standard to us and transferring the standard to us through him so that we don't have to do it. 
Which would you rather do, trying to work your way to heaven? Or, you know, even open up the things of, of uh, the kingdom to you by working for something now? Or have somebody actually do it for you and give it to you as a free gift? I mean, I'm not going to be real smart, but I'm not stupid. I'll take the free gift. So experiencing salvation now and for eternity is not meant to be complicated or mysterious. It's simply based on faith in the person of Jesus Christ and what his life and death has done for us in overcoming and forgiving sin, thereby putting us in right relationship with God. Salvation is new life in Jesus, free from the penalty and power of sin, and opens up to us something way beyond this world. And I say that he's giving us something way beyond this world because it's, you know, it's beyond what the world has to offer. It's troubles, the world's inevitable end in its present form, which is going to pass away. All that's going to pass away. All the troubles of the world are going to pass away. And God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, according to uh, not only Revelation, but Peter. And so all of these things that God has done for us is not to cause us to just, you know, shun the world or not be a player in, in the world as far as like trying to reach the world with, with Christ and with the goodness of God. But what it's done is it opens up to us something beyond the world that we're to tap into. It's what Emily was actually talking about today. Uh, you know, in the transition, it's like God intricately made each one of us for his own good pleasure, and there's all this stuff that he has for each one of you individually that nobody else can complete, nobody else can perform. It's so amazing, you know, I mean, I've actually been looking at crowds of people, and I was looking at pictures of people, you know, uh, in other countries, and all of this kind of thing, and no two people look exactly alike, not even twins. Twins don't even look exactly alike, you can be confused because they look very similar, but when it gets down to it, like I had some friends that were twins in high school, and they didn't look alike at all. But they came out within minutes of each other, you know, of being born from the same mom and dad. And uh, so what I'm saying is, you know, God's stamp of DNA on you is unique. And nobody else has it exactly like you have it. There's similarities, but there's also uniqueness and difference with everybody. And so our part in the world is to display the glory of God in the way that only we can display it. Only, only you, only me, and collectively, you know, in societies. So let me, let me go to verse 9. <clears throat> and what is God's living message? It's a revelation of faith for salvation, which is a message that we preach. 
For if you publicly declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will experience salvation. The heart that believes in him receives the gift of righteousness of God. And then the mouth confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scriptures encourage us with these words. Everyone who believes in him will never be disappointed. Salvation means to be made whole. And it includes deliverance, healing, and ultimately being raised from the dead to eternal life. That's what it means to be saved. I think everybody at some point wakes up to the fact of their own mortality. That they understand that someday they will pay taxes and someday they will die. <laughs> and everybody has to do it. Nobody can get out of it. So salvation, not only now to bring transformation in our own life and have a, have a renewed mind, a transformed life that begins to mirror the righteousness of God and the kingdom of God, but then also promised is eternal life, being raised from the dead to be with, with God and his kingdom forever, not just for a little while, but forever. And forever is a long time. <laughs> it's actually something that will give you a headache if you think about it too long. How long is he long? How long is forever? But this whole thing of the simplicity of this, now think about it. Further down it says, you know, some people heard it, didn't believe it. Others who weren't even looking for God, that was me, heard it and believed. And that, that could be people you know or it could be you, that you could put yourself in that category. Here he's talking about the Gentiles, but it could be any one of us in this room. And actually it could even be a Messianic, it could be a Jew who suddenly comes to faith in Christ. It could be any of those uh, categories. But everyone who believes in him will never be put to shame or disappointed. And all you have to do is believe in your heart, basically the gospel story that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was raised from the dead, believe it in your heart, and then confess it with your mouth. This was a big breakthrough for me. I'll never forget this. Um, when Ann and I moved to Oregon, because I still had long hair and, you know, I was still very close to the music scene and the whole thing and all of that, seemed like the first people we all connected with were other hippies. And so, you know, I was struggling because, you know, before I came to Christ, you know, I'm not, I don't want to make a big deal out of this because I'm not, I'm not, like, happy about it. But I smoked a lot of pot, and I did some other drugs. And so we come to Oregon. Now we've newly given our lives to Christ. And I'm, like, still kind of hanging on to smoking pot. And the Lord spoke to me one day when I was working on my house in, my, in the basement. 
and I had music on. It was like he opened up this thing, this thing in the spirit realm to me, and he showed me the, the, the attractive side of evil and how it pulls at you and tries to pull you in like a tractor beam. And I felt it pulling me. And then I heard the voice of the Lord say, Denny, you can have that or you can have me choose today. See, one of the things is that when God starts this whole process, he never gives up on us. And he doesn't let us stay the way we are, even though some of the things we go, well, I kind of like to keep that one in my hip pocket, you know. But he'll, he'll just keep working on us in a beautiful way. And so I said, well, I choose you, Lord. Well, wouldn't you know it, the next thing coming up on the calendar is a party at some of our friends. Everybody's smoking pot. And I'd said, I choose you. And so... They came up with the joint, you know. It's like, come on, man, let's get high, blah, 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 you know. And I said, no, I don't do that anymore. And they said, what? I said, nope. I gave my life to Christ. I love Jesus. It came out of my mouth. That was the first time it ever came out of my mouth like that to an unbeliever. And it just totally flipped something inside of me. There was no looking back. So the me message is actually simple enough a child could understand. And actually many children do and respond. Other translations put it this way, you will be saved and you'll never be put to shame. But I love this because it points to eternity and we'll not have to hang our heads in shame when we face Jesus at the judgment because our entire defense is not what we have done, but it's what he has done for us. Concerning the question of once saved, always saved. Okay? That's a raging question right now in the body of Christ. And I'm not going to get into the weeds of what other people are teaching about this. I'm just going to say what the Bible says. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you, says the Lord. Done deal. It's like, I guess it concerned the question, why would you ever want to find out? Why would you ever want to find out? Let's just go on with the Lord and go into glory, and let's just, like, you know, let, let the theologians argue about it and have their thing, but I'm just going to keep following Jesus and hopefully become more and more like him. I've actually only known two people that I know genuinely received Christ. One of them even, well, actually both of them, this is true, and different, I'll tell you in different ways it was true. One guy was going to a church in Lebanon, and knows whom very well is also, and he was an on-fire Christian. Then he got a divorce, and uh, it was a very messy kind of thing, you know, because it involved an affair and all that kind of stuff. They got remarried. And then, lo and behold, he renounced Christ and said, I don't follow that anymore. I'm kind of into, you know, some of these other New Age things and blah, blah, blah. And then there was a guy when I went to Oregon State University, and I, I look back on my time at Oregon State University with great affection. It was like I was newly baptized in the Holy Spirit, and for me it was like my temptation in the wilderness. 
being at Oregon State, freshly baptized in the Holy Spirit. I won't go into all that, but, but uh, you know, I passed every test. It was really a glorious time. It was actually very fun, and I was just so alive in the Spirit, having dreams and visions and different things for people, words of knowledge. I was just operating in a supernatural over there. And there was one guy in one of our classes, and we went on a, like a, called it a field trip, I guess, you know, or I guess it was actually a seminar we had to go to. So it wasn't in the normal thing. We went somewhere up in, I think it was Woodburn, and went to some uh, place to, to this seminar. And at the break, the Lord spoke to me and said this. I didn't know this guy real well, but I interacted with him in class, and we were kind of getting to know each other. And I went up to him, and I said, hey, the Lord just spoke to me and said that you are a Christian, but you've renounced your faith, and you even used to speak in tongues. And he just turned ashen white and looked at me, and he said, don't ever talk to me about this again, and walked away. And so I, could, I just prayed for him, you know, I mean, and well, well, not there, but I just prayed for him for a while. And here's what I have to say about that. I know that, uh, again, if you want to get deep in the weeds theologically and so forth, Hebrews 10 has different things that would say, well, if you do thus and so, you know, it's like you're, you're toast. But depends on how you actually look at that. It's because it's basically saying there is no other sacrifice other than Christ. He's the only one you'll ever have. And it's impossible for maybe you or I to get somebody to turn again. But here's what I feel about all that. Is that it's not over till it's over. It's not over till it's over. We need to have hope for people who have once believed to come back home like prodigal sons. Instead of judging them and saying, well, you're, you know, you, there's no way back for you. You've gone too far. Well, what about us? <laughs> In our walk with the Lord, maybe you've never cheated on your wife, maybe you've never done this, maybe you've done that, but you know what? The works of the flesh, it says, that keep people out of the kingdom uh, in Galatians 5 also include gossip, backbiting, bitterness, that kind of stuff. So it's not just your garden variety sins. It's the other stuff, you know, that has to do with your own heart. And so... What I'm saying is, I'm trusting in, when I put my trust in Jesus, I didn't just trust him for the moment for some transaction. I trusted Jesus for the long haul. I trusted Jesus forever. And what Paul says in one of his writings is that he who began a good work in you will complete it to the end is true. He will complete it to the end. So anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in with this, you know, because this is all about salvation, and it's like, well, how sure is this? It's just as sure as your faith is to believe and confess him as Lord and to continue in faith. It's not about your behavior or, you know, um, your own righteousness or your own works, which is what this whole book is about. It's really about what Jesus has done for you and you're, you're, you're continuing in faith and allowing God to just do his work in you for his own good pleasure.
So verse 12, so then faith eliminates the distinction between Jew and non-Jew for the same, he is the same Lord for all people. And he has enough treasures to lavish generously upon all who call upon him. And it's true. Everyone who calls upon the Lord's name will experience new life. And again, we just sometimes think, man, I, you know, that guy or that woman will never get saved. Don't ever think that. I don't know how many of you know who Russell Brand is. You may know who Russell Brand is. I think he was actually a comedian from the UK. I'm not really sure. He's been in some movies and stuff. Wild, wild life. This guy now is one of the most uh, radical, intense advocates for Christ that there is on the earth right now. He's going on every talk show, and he's not just talking about Jesus and the way to Jesus. He's talking about the hypocrisy of religion and all that kind of stuff and that you need to come to Christ. It's really profound. And then Jim Carrey. Recently, Jim Carrey. I thought that guy had gone completely crazy and just jumped off a cliff, and there was no way back. You know, that shows you how shallow I am. And now he's like talking to people about forgiveness and Christ. And I'm like, wow, what is going on, Lord? I think we might be in a Jesus revolution. So faith opens up the way, uh, opens up relationship to God to everyone, regardless of background, upbringing, economic status, race, ethnicity. But sadly, not everybody will welcome the message. So how can people call upon him if they've not believed? And how can they believe if they've not yet heard? And so forth. You, you know, I read this earlier. How they can hear the message if there's nobody to proclaim it? And how can the message be proclaimed if there's no messengers yet to be sent? But the scriptures say, how welcome is the arrival of those proclaiming joyful news and peace of good tidings to come. And... I actually love uh, what Isaiah 52 says, how it says it, because this is where it comes from. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, good tidings, who publish peace, and good tidings of good, who publish salvation, and who say to Zion, your God reigns. This is a big deal to me. I, I, I had a real just come up and with the Lord back in about 2010, I think it was. And some of you know the history of bringing Rodney Howard Brown here and all that. You know, just having, you know, not trying to uh, allude to the script or any of that kind of stuff. Really, what was in my heart is like we had not allowed the gospel to be up front in this train that pulls the church. We had gifts, we had other things, prophecy, different things. But the, but the engine, which is up front, is the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Same word power is the word for power for the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And so, I, about, it was around this time, I met, Ann and I met this couple in Reading uh, from Fargo. Well, we didn't meet the husband right away, but we met... Uh, Jana Sawchuck and her friend, Cindy. 
just had a really divine encounter with them. Uh, God just completely uh, overwhelmed Jaina for three days in her hotel room. And, and so they, she invited me to come back before they were ever at church. And now they're called Burning Hearts Church in Fargo. And what they had was they had this meeting of college students, and it was made up of Methodists, Baptists, and Lutherans. And they were all beginning to experience the Holy Spirit. So she asked me to come and speak to these guys, and it was right after this huge uh, thing that happened in my heart about the gospel, and I just had to basically go there, you know. And, you know, we did healing and some other things. It was some just amazing time and great meetings. But the last time I spoke to him, um, I spoke to him about this scripture. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. And talked about the power of the gospel and so forth. And so when I, at the end of it, when I said, how many of you would like to have beautiful feet and go preach good news? I've never seen anything like this. They mobbed me. These students who were just fresh experiencing the Holy Spirit, they had no hang-ups about theology or any of that kind of stuff, but they knew that Jesus was their Savior. They knew they were experiencing power in their life. They, they just literally mobbed me and wanted to have, the, have a prayer for them to have beautiful feet to go out and preach good news. Man, I'd like to see that again today. <laughs> we need it. We need it because, you know, people say, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. But I say, preach the gospel and use words because it is necessary. It is necessary. Now, some of you got real quiet. <laughs> no, this was meant to be proclaimed from the rooftops and all over the place. We were meant to proclaim this gospel, this good news, everywhere we can, everywhere we go, whether it's at work, the grocery store, whatever setting where you can, we should. And yes, our life can be a great testimony and draw people to Jesus, and then they'll ask, but some people will never ask. No matter how, much glory is coming from you. <laughs> They'll never ask. But how are they going to believe unless they hear the message? And that message can come in the form of a book, which it did for me, or it can come through the Bible, or it can come through a person, or it can come through an ad or a tract or whatever. I, and I don't really like tracts all that much. You know, they're kind of impersonal, blah, blah, blah. But... I'll just say this, you know, God's word is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword dividing uh, clear to the joints and the mirrors, dividing soul from spirit. What does that mean? What does that mean from Hebrews 4? What does it mean? It means that the word of God actually begins to penetrate the soul and then divides the soul from the spirit to where people awaken in their spirit and go, you know what, this is not just about my feeling or my soul, soul, you know, my mind, my emotions. This is about my heart and my spirit that came from God. 
And so the word of God is active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it just goes in there and begins to divide. Then people make a choice. The word of God falls on good ground, bad ground, gets in weeds, rocky soil, etc. But when it lands on soil that's fertile and the heart is open, it grows up and springs up to eternal life, is what Jesus said in the parable of the sower, right? So not everyone who hears will respond, but faith is birthed in a heart that responds to God's anointed utterance of the anointed one. Now, I, I think that is not a, the best translation of this, and I get why he's saying it, because of what Nathaniel said last week, the living word, or the voice. When the word begins to penetrate your heart, it's a living word. And, if the, and there's an opportunity when it awakens the heart, you're going to come to a place where you're either going to say yes or no. Because now your heart is hearing, really, the voice of God. And you're going to go one way with it. It doesn't mean that it'll be the last time you ever make the decision. In fact, it's, it's been said that sometimes it takes up to like seven times for people to hear the gospel before they respond. Why? Because the soil of the heart's not ready to receive it. So faith comes by hearing, and that hearing the good news about Christ or preaching of Christ. This is from another translation. Faith comes by hearing, and that is the hearing of the good news about Christ or the preaching of Christ. It doesn't matter whether it's a book with a message, a Bible, a person conveying the gospel. When the heart is awakened by the living word of Jesus, faith is activated unto salvation. That's why it's so important to share the gospel however and wherever we can. I guess the biggest mystery of all of this, you know, the gospel is so simple, but it's a mystery. Why do some people receive it and others don't? I've often reflected, it's like, man, Lord, how did you grab a hold of me? <laughs> It's like, I said yes, you know, as soon as I heard the message, it quickened something in my heart, but then there's other people, and I won't say, you know, I won't allude to anybody <laughs> in my life and that kind of thing, but there are other people, it's just like, they've heard it again and again and again and again, and it just falls to the ground and never takes root. And I'm like, man, what is the deal, you know? Well, that's, that part's a mystery. But the gospel itself is very simple, and the way of salvation is very simple, which is the whole point of this chapter. The good news is that it is such good news because it's for everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. Anyone who believes. Is that a good deal or what? Well, let's stand. We're going we're gonna to close here. Well, I didn't create a mob scene in Fargo, so I'm not going to try to create one now in my own strength. But I will say this. Let's just pray in the end, you know. 
I mean, don't we want beautiful feet and be messengers of good tidings, the good news of peace and, of the, of, and the good news of salvation? So let's just pray together as we close here. Father, I just thank you that you made this so simple for us. <laughs> we don't have to slaughter animals. We don't have to do backflips and go through hoops and all these different things to try to get to you. Jesus built a bridge right to your throne and made it possible for us to come simply by believing in him. And I just thank you, Lord, for this precious gift of salvation that you've given us. Lord, I don't take it for granted for a moment, Lord. And I just ask, Lord, that you would start with me, Lord, just, I don't know, give me new shoes, Lord, and get rid of my old shoes if necessary. Lord, I want new shoes that are beautiful to go preach the gospel. And I just pray that you'll give me an utterance that people can understand, Lord. And here it is, quite simply, Lord, for people. And I just I pray, Lord, and thank you, Lord, that you're working in every one of us and you'll complete this beautiful gift called salvation. You'll complete it to the end. Thank you for loving us so lavishly. And Jesus, thank you for amazing sacrifice that, that just goes so deep what you did for us. I pray, Lord, that there would be an anointing on us, Lord, as we go out of this building today to be bearers of good news in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening to Jesus Pursuit's weekly sermon. If you would like to be a part of seeing people encounter God, experience transformation, and be equipped to advance the kingdom, you have the opportunity to partner with us through giving at jesuspursuit.org forward slash give. Together we can make Jesus famous in Albany, the Northwest, and the nations. We hope you have a blessed week and we'll see you next time.